Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, we are celebrating 250 episodes today. Wow. I mean, 250. What's it's something that you've done 250 times that you love this much? Nothing. Not even know, making jam? Eating butter? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Jam. I've made. I've definitely made jam 250 times. Yeah, but this is better. This is your real yeah, jam. Yeah, I mean, that I do by myself. This is the jam. <laughs> This week, we're joined by Jenna Friedman and Megan Gailey to take on the following questions. What did one Democrat do to doom abortion rights in North Carolina? When do culture wars become actual wars? Why did this week's succession fuck us up so badly? And what NBA players have the cutest kids? All this and more right now. And welcome to Hysteria, the show for people who usually ended up just doing most of the group project themselves. Hosted by two people who did end up doing... 100%. We're, we see you. We understand you. We are, we are here you. For you. We are you. We are here for you. Um, so before we get into the news, oh my gosh, Alyssa. Yes. 250 episodes. Are we in love? Does this mean we're officially in love? I We've made it 250 episodes. So I think we're common law married at this point. Yes. If you do 250 episodes of a podcast with somebody. <laughs> Although I was on maternity leave for a bit and you like we haven't... You know, Ben here. I didn't cheat. But this is but this is our daughter. This is our daughter hysteria. This is our daughter. She's still here. (laughs) Our beautiful daughter hysteria is 250 (laughs) years old. And so we wanted to answer some of your listener questions. We are going to be sprinkling the questions throughout the episode. So if you want to know if we chose yours, you gotta listen till the end. Okay. First question. I will read this. Okay. If we were to add a third to our ride or die duo, who would it be? Who would the third person? Who would it be? I feel like it would either have to be our producer, Caroline, Mm -hmm. or Jay Smith Cameron. (laughs) You know what? That's really fun. I was going to be my answer, too. (laughs) I feel like like Caroline has been with the show almost as long as the show has existed. And we've all kind of grown together with the show. And yeah, I I think that that might be. 
That might be the right answer. I'm trying to think like a fantasy person I've never spoken with who I would want to be a part. I would say, you know, Bernie Sanders would be a fun monkey wrench. You know? Also weird. Tracy Ellis Ross comes to mind. Oh, she seems fun. Yeah, she, she seems, seems fun. fun. She seems fun. Okay, cool. Okay, let's get into the news. Abortion. This is a classic wah, hysteria wah. segue. Speaking of fun, abortion. Okay, on Tuesday evening, the North Carolina legislature banned most abortions after 12 weeks by voting to override the veto of Democratic Governor Roy Cooper and upholding the ban. The ban will take effect July 1st. Uh, the Senate voted to override the veto in a 30 to 20 vote, and the House followed suit with a 72 to 48 vote. Um, here's the thing that really, really grinds my gears about this. Mm. Um, they did not have a veto-proof majority until one suspicious Democrat switched parties. Alyssa, what do you make of that? Is Trisha the new Karen? Aaron, <laughs> why is our party plagued with people who keep doing this to us? It's like, wait, uh, to me, she should be recalled. There should be a special election for her seat. The people who voted for her did not vote for this. Mm -hmm. And I am just, uh, I'm sad, I'm appalled, I'm mad. Um, and I guess just like, why? Mm -hmm. I mean, she gave this whole sort of like, woe is me speech that the Democratic Party isn't what it used to be. And that's why she's a Republican, except that she gave a speech several years ago about abortion, about her abortion. And I guess why would you take away from other people what you yourself were entitled to when you needed it? It is so hypocritical and dark and cynical. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of cynical, uh, Trisha Cotham is this Democratic lawmaker's yeah. name. She's in a safe Democratic district. Her switching parties is kind of, uh, I would say, n no pun intended, but sort of like a miscarriage of the electoral process. Um, they did not <laughs> vote for a Republican, and I don't think people in her district wanted to vote for abortions to be banned in most, in many cases in North Carolina. Here's something that I want to know. Who has she been meeting with? Who has she been talking to? What was she offered? What was she offered? What That's was exactly, she offered? But what could it be? Like, uh, what, what could it be? I don't know. She's going to be lieutenant. I mean, like, she can't even, it's not even like she can be lieutenant governor. Governor's a fucking Democrat. Like, what the fuck? I have no idea. I, I But you know what I, I want, though? Like, okay, so on Tuesday night in New York City, Harry and Meghan and one of their yeah. friends were were pursued by, like, an army of paparazzi on scooters. Okay. Mm -hmm. Unnecessary. Un-fucking-necessary. Trash. Total Ter trash. They were, they, they were afraid for their lives. Like, I, I heard that some streets had to be shut down. Alyssa, what happened? Streets had to be shut down. There were paparazzi on mopeds and uh, scooters on the sidewalk like bowling pedestrians over like bowling pins trying to catch up to them. And Aaron, here's the question. So overexposed, what are these pictures worth? Who cares? Who Why cares? are they doing this? It's Go so Go to insane. North Carolina and follow yes. Trisha Cotham around. There's I, a much better story here. We should know who she's meeting with, who is she talking to. What'd she get? What'd she get? What did she get? Well, here's what she got. She got an abortion ban for everybody in her state because she's... An asshole. Um, An you know, asshole. I don't. I don't want to let let every other Republican off the hook here because they are also assholes. But she they is are. a particularly 
this she's a stinging asshole because she's just uh, her switching. It couldn't parties. have happened without her. Yeah, yeah. At least buy us dinner if you're gonna fuck us, Trisha. <laughs> All right. Uh, what else do we got to talk about? Ooh, what's going on in Philadelphia? Oh, Aaron, little action in Philly. The primary was yesterday. In Philly's primary for mayor, three of the four leading candidates for the Democratic nomination were women. Interesting. And Sherelle Parker has won the Democratic primary as of this morning. 88% of precincts are reporting. She is the nominee. Parker spent 10 years in the Pennsylvania State House of Representatives and then the city council. If she wins the general election, which most people think she will because Philly is a very Democratic city, she'd be the first female mayor of Philly and would have a critical role in overseeing voting in the largest city in a big-time swing state in 2024. That is super interesting. Also, greasing the polls in case uh, in case any Philadelphia sports team win or lose an important yeah. game so that uh, <laughs> fans cannot climb lampposts. That's a very important role of the Philadelphia mayor is uh, poll of grease course. overseeing. God, God bless her if she wins. We hope she wins, but... Uh, Philadelphia is a bit of an embattled city. It has sort of like Chicago vibes right now. The current mayor has said he will be happy when he's done being mayor. So uh, she's inheriting what feels like a bit of a mess. Public safety is a huge issue in Philadelphia. So if she wins, Godspeed. Winded her back. Yeah, you know, we're seeing a lot of cities elect their first female mayors uh, right at a time when yeah. being a mayor seems like the Shit's shittiest bad. job. <laughs> it's like, let's give women these terrible, 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 very difficult jobs uh, that they just, it's just going to be nonstop stress. But yeah. you know what? Seriously, Karen Bass here in L.A., you know, we've got mm. we've got Philly. You know, I guess women are willing to do the hard jobs. So that's New cool. York. New York is getting so bad. A woman might have a chance here soon. too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Do you remember that election that Anthony Weiner was in and it just got totally <laughs> thrown sideways when the whole his like problems Situation. came to light? <laughs> um, his problems, the troubles. Um I remember Christine Quinn was supposed to be the first yeah. female mayor. Everybody thought Christine Quinn was going to be the first female mayor. And the New York Times had like a camera crew following her around. Because they were going to, and then it ended up, they ended up making this documentary of her losing. Yeah. And it was, oh, it was one of those things. Maybe I should watch it now as like an artifact, but at the time, just like watching it was just like, oh, I don't know, man. Um, I didn't vote for her. Okay. um, Let's move. Oh, let's, what else do we have to talk about? More, more fuck around and find out in the Midwest. Yeah. So in Kansas, there's an interesting kind of back and forth going on between the state's Democratic governor and uh, a Democratic lawmaker who appeared to switch sides and help override a a gubernatorial veto. Um, Kansas's Democratic governor vetoed state funding Monday for a project long advocated for by a Democratic lawmaker who broke ranks to override the governor's vetoes and give Republicans crucial support for laws restricting abortion and rolling back trans rights. And the project was a $250,000 amount of money set aside to develop um, a site in Kansas City that was a significant underground railroad site. 
Um, so there's a lot of back and forth. It's a really complicated discussion because, like, the governor is a white lady, uh, mm-hmm. but the veto, like, the veto overrides hurt trans people and hurt abortion access because of this lawmaker breaking ranks with other Democrats. Um, but it's like, is she getting is she getting back at this lawmaker? She says she's not. Um, Alyssa, what do you think is happening? Okay, let me give you my theory here, Erin, because the governor is a smart lady. We Mm -hmm. are into her. And Mm -hmm. I think mostly she's just rat-fucking him. She will have the project go through, but this has been his, like, raison d'etre for years, Mm -hmm. like, even before he was an elected official. And so I think she's just not going to let it be his success. Like, I think Mm -hmm. she's still going to... She's talking about how important it is. She's saying there just needs to be a little bit more research, but I think she's just not going to let it be his to claim victory over. She's just like, you can go fuck yourself. I feel like you've you've probably had a front row seat to instances where politicians have done some like maneuvering um, and done things like that. Just have you? Sometimes, you know, look, here's the problem, Aaron, is that I was always the person, Barack Obama was actually uh, like a nicer person than I was. There were a lot of uh, people who I wanted to rat fuck. And I'd be like, oh, yeah? Well, here's what we're going to do. And he's like, Alyssa, that's not how you make progress. Uh, and I was like, no, it's Vendetta with a V. Um, but I just, I think that she is getting him where it hurts. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, he can be as mad as he wants. But I know that the uh, other representatives uh, who support this are really mad. But I personally not a member of the Kansas legislature or anything, but as a New Yorker, I think it's probably going to pass and she will make it happen just at a time when he cannot benefit from it at all. Right. And she she vetoed the funding after the uh, state legislature had uh, adjourned for the session. And so yeah. there was no way for them to just like override, um, which kind of makes me think maybe she should have just like done some of her, held some vetoes until the very end of the session anyway, and just like been a, you know, been yeah. a total rule. I mean, following the letter, but not the spirit of the law, which is what Republicans do all the time. And I think maybe we should start doing that, too. Um, I agree. Okay. Ooh, Alyssa, one more story. Aaron, mm-hmm. I love this story. I love this story because you know what? Let me tell a quick personal anecdote. In 2019, I had my first really, really bad hot flash, and it was at a very embarrassing moment. I was at a Netflix for your consideration event and I was interviewing Christina Applegate, icon, Linda Cardellini, icon, Liz Feldman, icon, for their show Dead to Me. And before we went on stage, I started sweating like a fucking stuck pig. And uh, Christina Applegate and Linda turned to me, they're like, are you okay? And I was like, oh my God, I think I'm having a hot flash. I'm not, this is not flop sweat. I'm having a hot flash. And they were like, you just have to lean into it because the more anxious you get about it, the worse it's going to be. So I went on stage in front of hot lights and Aaron, you've seen the jumpsuit that I wore, my favorite denim jumpsuit. And I had sweat through. Oh my God. It was there was like a little party afterwards. That's I was like, like flight I'm out. Grade, Alyssa. Yes, that is. Like, I know you could re- you could make motorcycle repairs in that. And I had to peel my bra. Everything was stuck to me. It was one of the worst <sighs> feelings I have ever experienced. And I'm telling that story because we have had a bit of a breakthrough. Ooh, for women who are going through or will go through menopause, which is all of us. And it's on the heels of an article written a couple weeks ago, which is based on a Mayo Clinic study that menopause costs American women an estimated $1.8 billion 
dollars annually in lost working time. Um, this is real. People have not been addressing it for years. We have no Viagra. Well, I mean, we have Viagra. We have nothing that's been able really, uh, aside from hormonal therapy, to help women with some of the symptoms uh, for menopause. Except this week, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration last Friday approved a new type of drug to treat hot flashes and night sweats during menopause, making it easier for women who want to stay in the workforce. The new drug, Vioza, what a name, Vioza, hmm. uh, blocks receptors in the brain that play a role in the regulation of body temperature. It's an alternative to traditional hormone replacement therapies to manage hot flashes, one of the most common symptoms of menopause. In the clinical trials, there were 3,000 women included, and the Vioza reduced the number of hot flashes women experienced each week significantly more than the placebo group. Okay, so, Vioza. Alyssa, could we use Vioza in our game that we made up? Our game? Vioza. Car, drug, or baby in Utah? I mean, I really, God bless a little baby named Vioza. Bet she's adorable. <laughs> or he's see, adorable. I Gender mean, neutral Vioza. I think Vioza could also be a car. I think Vioza sounds like it could be a car. Vioza model. sounds like a new electric car. I feel like there are two labs in the U.S. At, at any given time working feverishly, and one of them is a lab to come up with names for drugs that sound vaguely like they could be nice people names. And then another lab is... Mormon influencer bloggers free like feverishly coming up with <laughs> with names that don't that don't exist for their children. Um and they they need to beat the drug people too. Yeah. It. I wondered when COVID was named if there was somewhere a baby named COVID and they had to like change Probably. Cuz it's and like, like oh no, what are we going to do now? <laughs> yeah. Ooh. You know, Dovid. Let's name him Dovid. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really great news. Um, I'm glad that people are finally taking um, the fact that menopause shouldn't be something that people just have to deal with as is with no yeah. help or remedy or only deal with it using hormone therapy. I think it's – I'm glad they're looking into it. I mean, the cynical side of me is like there are – but they're only really looking into it because they're realizing how much money women of that uh, age would pay to manage because their symptoms. They're 15 million women ages 45 to 60 in the workforce currently. Mm -hmm. I think it's funny that the the wording that was used was like for women who want to keep working. It's like what people at age 45 uh, are are they are they like, you know, professional soccer players who's retiring yeah. at age 45? Firefighters? Not I think me. most people who are in the workforce at age 45 are going to stay in for like another 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 30 whatever, however many years. Um so yeah, I'm glad I'm glad they're finally taking it seriously. And let's just hope the insurance companies don't rat fuck us and that it's actually remotely affordable. I think, you know what, this is going to sound uh, adversarial, but I think that insurance companies should fuck people over more. Instead of just gently fucking us over, they should fuck us over harder. So more people get angrier and are like, no, no, absolutely not. I mean, yeah, all it true. takes is like one 20-minute argument on the phone with an insurance person who's never examined you, who's telling you you don't need a medicine that your doctor says you need. It, I feel like it only takes a couple of those before you're like, burn it down. Yeah, I you know. Agree. I mean, I know a lot of people would lose their jobs, but how many times have you had a good experience with an insurance company where you're like, mm, I want all of you to be well paid and have great <laughs> jobs? No, they can learn to code. Okay, uh, let's uh, move into some more mailbag questions. Ooh. You want to pick one you like, Alyssa? Yeah, let's see here. 
Um, Margaret from the friend of the pod from Crooked Media's new subscription community asks, what do you think is easier about entering the workforce as a woman today than when you started your careers? What do you think is harder? Mm. That's a great question. Um, I can say, well, I, I guess I could enter the workforce in this weird sideways way. Yeah. I, I had like, I did AmeriCorps right after college, which is like not technically oh, right. the workforce. I was living on like a stipend. Um, and then after that, I was like, hmm, I want to earn money and have insurance. And so I got hired at Merrill Lynch because they were hiring everybody with a pulse uh, who could hold a pencil at the time. And I could do, I had a pulse and I could hold a pencil. Um, but I just took that job because I needed like insurance and some way to pay my rent. And I actually, <laughs> there was a period of time where I was like so poor that I was like doing medical trials at the University of Chicago. Yeah. One time I was in a medical trial where they made me take a um, a drug that was used for Parkinson's that the drug maker was being what? sued. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't tell you about my medical test what? subject days. Um, they So what I would do is I'd go in. They would give me – they would test my, my urine to make sure I wasn't like on drugs or had alcohol right. in my system. And then they would give me this – drug and they would have me watch movies for like two hours and then they would come back and have me do these like mild gambling exercises like if you guess which one the red dot is under three right. times in a row you get a dollar or you can and it was like a it was like gambling basically and then um afterwards you know they would give me whatever dollars that I earned and then I got paid for being part of the experiment the drug was a drug that allegedly made people um act compulsively the, the drug maker was being sued because people who were taking it were like had never gambled in their lives were suddenly like losing their life savings at a slot machine. And so they were testing to see if it in increased like compulsive behavior. Um, yeah. I can't believe I did not know that story. Yeah. And also continues to baffle me that we both worked at Merrill Lynch. Yeah, that's super weird. It was a bad – I mean, once I started, it was like – I wasn't like making bank. I was like a support staff person. Um, oh, yeah, same. same. I, was a, I was a senior secretary was my official title. <laughs> nice, 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 same. Um, I mean, basically, I don't think they used the term secretary when I was there anymore. But it was like a similar <laughs> deal where I was like – I had all my broker's licenses, but I was supporting a, a broker. Um, and – yeah, it was, like, easy to enter the workforce because there were a lot of jobs and they wanted to pay people not very much money. And actually, insurance was, like, cheaper and better back then. Um, and so yeah. I actually think that the health care that I got for my first real job was, like, better than the health care that I even got through, like, the WGA in, you know, 2018. I think that's true. My insurance back in the day was much better than it is now. Yeah, it was it was just like really really good, and it's gotten worse. Um, I, that was a really long winded answer. I it, it, I don't know how hard it is to enter the workforce today. I can say entering journalism is really hard today. Mm -hmm. Entering media is really strange. Um, back when I first start, even when I was first starting TV writing in like 2017, the first time mm -hmm. I I sold anything, um, the pay was better. Like it just it felt more stable. Like uh, TV shows ran longer. You know, a lot of stuff the WGA is striking about. You know, I, I witnessed some of that stuff happening, you know, in the industry. Um, journalism is a little bit rough now, too. There's always, like, these sort of – you've been, you worked in at Vice for a while, right? And there's always a sort of, like, expansion implosion 
cycle mm-hmm. that repeats itself. And I think this is the third one that I've seen. Um, so I think right now it's probably pretty hard to enter journalism, mm-hmm. media. Um, but that doesn't mean it's always going to be hard. There'll be a time in like six months to a year where suddenly there's more opportunities, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. When I entered the workforce, it was the late 90s. And have to be honest, every single job I applied for was like, how many words per minute can you type? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that's a thing anymore. But uh, I think that, you know, I think that when I was looking for jobs as a very young person, a lot of it was just like, uh, here, you can interview to be a secretary. You can interview to be a secretary. They weren't like, even like the the idea of an assistant now still kind of implies that you can learn something and go further. And I think that back when I got into the workforce, it was mostly like, you'll be a secretary, you're going to learn how to type, and here is like your opportunity to be the best secretary you can be. And secretaries are awesome, but that was not what I wanted for myself. So I think now there's probably a little bit more, there's a more expansive brain in corporate America about when women are coming in to interview, that it is not just for one specific job. Mm -hmm. I also think one thing I would say is probably easier than when I, you and I were both entering the workforce is I feel like, and maybe I'm just saying this because I'm a millennial, but I feel like millennials are a little bit more empathetic and uh, have a little bit more care as bosses than people who are in generations that came before. I think that some women especially, I hate to say it, who are a little bit older tend to be like, I had to go through this, so you have to go through it too. And I, I just haven't experienced that when I've been working with millennial women either in like a – at a you know, who's been parallel to me or somebody who's been like my boss. I've never experienced having a boss that was close to my age that I didn't feel like had empathy for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. Um, okay. I'm going to pick a question. This is going to be a real okay. – favorite city outside the U.S.? Tokyo. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. It's lovely. Um, I'm going to say I haven't spent much time there for – it's been a long time since I've been there, but mm-hmm. uh, Mexico City. Mexico Ooh. City is a really um, – it, it's really got – it just feels very alive. It's a really, really uh, – it's a cool place to visit, and um, I kind of compare the vibes of it to like – I'm only saying this because it's like kind of old and the weather is like heavy and wet during the mornings, kind yeah. of has like a little bit of New Orleans-y vibe only because of the way that the air feels. I can see that. Um, and there's, oh, the uh, Anthropological Museum there is amazing. Amazing. Um, cool. You want to pick another question before we take a quick break? Okay. Erin, I have one for you. Okay. Do you believe in aliens? Yes, I do. That's why I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think I... Uh, I don't know. I Look, if we were doing mushrooms together, I would talk about this a lot. I, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> um, I, I think that um, I think that there is life out there. I feel like there's no way that there's not just like purely by the numbers. But I read this like super disturbing article maybe like eight or nine years ago that stuck with me. And then I watched a really disturbing TED Talk um, while I was like, I'd taken an edible, and so it just really, like, affected me. Anyway, the one one article that I read was that some people are a little bit baffled by the fact that we haven't made contact with uh, any form of intelligent life yet. And so the theory is that either the Earth is one of the first places in our our immediate vicinity to develop life or the last. So either we are just alone and, like, somewhere, like, everything else is TK, 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 
or <laughs> we are floating in a giant space graveyard and we're the last ones. Um, and that really fucked me up. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> the other thing was this TED Talk where this guy said that 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 intelligent life evolves is evolving away from biology. And, you know, we're, we're pouring more and more of ourselves into machines. Like we're seeing like the, the next evolution of, of people isn't biological, it's machine. So if we tried to contact intelligent life, there's a chance that we would just contact a machine. Wait, can I just throw something out there? Yeah. Maybe when we get to our 300th episode, we should do it on mushrooms. I, <laughs> there's a chance it will be legal in California by then. There's dispensaries <gasps> out here where you can buy it. I know. There's a dispensaries. Oh, speaking of legalizing um, drugs— Minnesota mm. is like I, I want to give a shout out to Minnesota. Minnesota like flipped its state legislature, and now they're doing all kinds of cool stuff. I think they're about to Thank pass uh, like a pretty good paid leave policy. They renamed a, a portion of a highway after Prince. They're making the roadsides <laughs> purple. They're legalizing uh, recreational marijuana for users twenty one years of age of, or older. It's way to go, way to Keep go. Keep it coming. Yeah, indeed. Okay, uh, let's take a quick break. We'll answer more questions when we come back, so stick around. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, mean, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. 
Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. Yeah. I have. I refuse to be uncomfortable if I want to be productive. I refuse (laughs) to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like Viore is perfect for it because they, the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put a a blazer and like— Denim shirt. Denim Denim shirt, blazer, leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee, while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. That's perfect. He is like I think my my dad is one of those people that just like beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're they look like a security blanket that a thirty year old yep. still has, where it's just like a ball of string, and you're like, um, our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now, and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a on a short weekend trip, and they still looked great. It was like, Dad. Your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, a podcast for Lisa Simpsons living in a world of homers and barts. Um, 
<laughs> Alyssa, since this is our 250th episode, we're doing listener questions. Yes. Do you have one to kick off this segment for us? I do, Erin. I have a listener question for you. Erin, what's been the biggest change in perspective since motherhood? Ooh, how free I was before. Mm. I had so much freedom. Uh, I had, I could go wherever I want. I mean, I would have, like, within reason. I couldn't just, like, disappear for several days and be like, bye, husband. Um, But I could go, if I wanted to go get coffee, I could just be like, put my shoes on and go get it. But now it's, it's just a complete change in what I'm able to do, what I have the like flexibility to do in the space to do. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, it sounds very, it sounds very dark, but like, I can't, I can do like baby stuff. Like, you know, I could take her to like a baby gym and do like the playground and all this stuff. But like, I just, you just, it's a loss of freedom that I had lived in for like my entire adult life. And it's, it's been a little bit of a, there's been a little bit of an adjustment when it comes to it. Um, so yeah, I know it's like a dark answer, but it's It's true. It's not dark. It's honest. That's what the listeners want. (laughs) I hope so. Uh, (laughs) if you were thinking about having a kid and you're on the fence, I would say don't. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) No, you should, if you want to do it, if you want to do it, then do it. But if you're like, meh, I don't know, like, you know, it's a change. It's yeah. It's a big, big change. Okay. <laughs> On that note, bringing in our panel, both of whom are mothers, <laughs> both of whom, both of whom looked pained by my answer to that question. <laughs> our first panelist is a comedy podcast queen. She hosts Megan Fun of Sports, and I love a Lifetime movie. And she'll start hosting a new show called I Love My Kid, but starting on June 5th. <laughs> Wherever you get your podcast, Megan Gailey. Welcome to Hysteria. I said, those who cannot write podcast. <laughs> and so here we are. Well, yeah, I know. We, we're, 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 we can't. I know. Gotta, we're going we're gonna to strike right outside of the office after this. We gotta, I brought us all signs. Oh, you did? No, I'm kidding. Oh. Um, I, no, I, I'm, I, need to, I need to pick I it. I know. Well, well, we got to bring the kids. I, I see everybody brought. You brought your babe. I did. Oh, What yeah. else am I going to do with him? Yeah, true. <laughs> I'm like, we're going to get, honey, we're going to go get our steps in outside of Disney, all right? Oh, my God, mine is like too big now. She's just gonna, she like squirms and wants to like run around and grab things and stuff. Uh, rounding on our panel, uh, she's a comedian, a writer with a new book called Not Funny Essays on Life, Comedy, Culture, etc. Out now, Jenna Friedman. Hi. Welcome back. It's so nice to be here and see you guys. Yeah. So you protested with your with your baby on you. Yeah, I did. And I, the signs, I mean, the comedic opportunity for, for kind of witty signs with the baby is so fun. Did mm-hmm. you make a tiny <laughs> sign for him? Uh, yeah, I made a couple. One was like, I guess I'll, I'm going to be an only child now. <laughs> Someone out in L.A. made little tiny yeah. strike signs They for actually kids. had like a little separate they table did. to make oh kid gosh. signs. What? Yeah. Which one was this at? Uh, Netflix. Yeah, Netflix okay. is the like most poppin' one. I'm avoiding Netflix. I'm going to CBS Radford. Everyone is 1,000 years old Ooh. and doesn't even need to be out there. But like they've got sunscreen, apples, and angry faces. <laughs> oh, good. I was thinking of doing Disney just because I have Disney's like a Disney-specific yeah. sign that I like. There's Desa- We have so much DeSantis material that right. they're never going to right. get yeah. because we're on strike. And it's like, let us back. Right. We will help. At Disney, you go, this is really insider, there's like a loop too, and some of the houses are are lovely, and you go, gosh, that must suck for those people in those houses, and then my friend was like, Disney owns those houses and no one lives in them, and I'm like, well, let's fuck up these houses, though. <laughs> oh my 
God. Yeah, that is, uh, that's a good idea. Fuck mm-hmm. up the houses. I was picturing when you're like, and you go around in a circle by Disney, I was picturing everyone in teacups. No. Yeah. <laughs> that would be cool. But um, they're the ones that know how to make rides, not us. We're the ones who write. Um, okay. Jenna, I want to start by talking a little bit about your book because I thought it really dovetails well into like kind of our larger topic that we were going to get into today. Um you write, it's always kind of funny when a famous comedian whines about ca- cancel culture on a platform where we can all hear them. Mm. Um, and it sort of reminds me of how, like, the loudest culture war whining takes place on, you know, the biggest platform. So mm-hmm. what do you think of when you think of what a culture war is? And and how do you talk about culture war topics in your book? So I wrote, I mean, I when I wrote it, everyone was talking about cancel culture. And I, it was something I felt like if I'm going to write a book about comedy and culture, I kind of can't avoid it. Mm-hmm. And then, and I realized that like the term is so nebulous that it is hard to define. And that's why it is still, why we're still talking about it. Because if we could all have one consensus on it, we would be able to just like move on. Mm-hmm. Also, people are really able to monetize it. And so as I'm writing a book, I'm like, well, maybe I can monetize it too. <laughs> and that was like my general take about cancel culture. Um, I don't want to say it doesn't exist because clearly it does. We're talking about it. But I do think it's important to look at the context. And I write about this of, like, comedians under assault for the things we say. And uh, Mae West, Lenny Bruce, George Carlin, all put in jail for their words. Um, No comedian has been jailed since Carlin for their words. Bill Cosby's literally planning a tour as we speak, I think. Uh I saw him dead. Well, he went to jail for the rapes. Totally, but I'm just saying, like, the lack of a can... Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Bill Cosby's... And then he got out. But I'm just saying, is, like, the point is that, like, the comedians are so not, like, um, prosecuted for anything to the point where, like, somebody who's, like, a legitimate rapist of, like, over 60 people is now touring again. Mm -hmm. Um... But uh, so I guess just and I think part I, I I also think that part of people on the left's like want to kind of hold people accountable is because of things that might not have to do with words like Cosby being out of like there's just a mm-hmm. lack of accountability, I think, makes people want uh, people who violate a social contract by saying something racist or whatever to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do go and I, I talk about people who have been held accountable. I talk about how like uh I, I my personal belief is that women, particularly in comedy, uh, are held to account more for their words than men are for their actions. Uh, I wrote for Roseanne for one day, which was <laughs> I the, remember that day, the day that she tweeted that, yeah, and she did get her show taken from her, and that is an example of somebody whose words, I believe, rightfully so, lost them an opportunity. Um, because when you're in a position of power and you have an opportunity and then you tweet something very stupid and tone deaf and racist, even if it wasn't her intent, you should be held accountable. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, to something that was in your outline, the idea that, you know, um, where our society is so fragmented right now, but in if you look at the data, we're not in a way that like we all we all don't want for the most of us don't want kids getting shot in school. Most of us want people to have reproductive freedom. And so this one area where we can be divided is culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are larger forces at play really pushing that narrative, particularly on the right, where people don't have 
You, you, it, it's really hard to get people on your side when you're talking about wanting to support the NRA. But if you're talking about culture issues that are nebulous, mm-hmm. it's really easy to kind of bring people into the fold and get them angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, that's a really good point. And, and it's something I was thinking about as I was prepping for the show. Um, Alyssa, do you think culture war issues are sort of proxies for other things? Like I, I was thinking about the Bud Light yeah. You know, fracas and mm-hmm. um, how, how, like, it seems like there's a note behind the note, if that if that makes sense. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, look, to me, the culture wars are ignited by people who want things that should be maybe a personal belief or a personal choice <laughs> to be law, right? And to be enforced on everybody. And so to me, like the Bud Light, that, that's, that was people who think everyone should be hetero and married and have kids and the women shouldn't work. And there's such a message behind it. It's like, who cares? Like, this is the thing about the culture wars. They obliterate any ability to have reasonable conversations about reasonable things. Like Jenna was just talking about guns. Okay. Guns are killing kids and people all across this country. The worst mass shootings have all been at the hands of someone who had an AR-15. You can believe in in the Second Amendment and also reasonably understand that people shouldn't have weapons of war. And to me, that's where the culture war comes into play. It's like there is no ability to have a conversation that is remotely reasonable because they have turned gun rights the ability to own an AR-15 into something that they think was enshrined uh, by the fucking early settlers of this country who didn't even have light. You know what I mean? And it's it's uh, it's non it's nonsensical. And I think that like where we are right now, it's like the ability to own an AR-15 is not actually emblematic of freedom. And you can't say that you believe in freedom and then and then also, you know, espouse all the other shit that they are saying. And if you but if you to your point, if you make it your identity, if you're a gun owner and that's your identity exactly. and that's your culture, it's easy exactly. for them to kind of bring you into their fold. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Megan, what does culture war mean to you? What do you think of? Honestly, when I saw it, I was like, oh, my gosh, we're talking about like. MTV in the 90s like it felt like (laughs) it felt like a throwback because uh, maybe that's just because when I was coming up and and that's you I remember you know the Janet Jackson and the nip and it is it's these moments where people across everything can clutch their pearls a little bit and it's like oh we all know these huge cultural moments um but we don't all know Yes, the minutia and the nitty gritty of what's actually making people upset about mm-hmm. it, um, and and so yeah, I, I, w- I was like thinking about how, just how people policed women's bodies and how yes, you cannot be put in jail for certain things, but how it's not okay to do. There's this um, 
a, a basketball player right now named Ja Morant, and he just got in trouble for having a gun on Instagram Live for a second time. And everybody is like, this is insane. This can't be happening. He needs to go to rehab. And it's like, yes, he's making really poor decisions that are actually hurting himself more than anyone else because he's losing millions of dollars. But then you see um, GOP Christmas cards and every single person standing in front of a Christmas tree has an assault weapon. And it's like, okay, so why are we so mad at this black man who is n- who plays basketball, which you have said should just be shut up and dribble, and we're not holding our actual leaders to... So it's like, it's easier for us to be mad at people culturally mm-hmm. than I think it is for us to be mad at politicians because the way we show we're mad at politicians is voting and the way we show we're mad at people is tweeting and Instagram and going on panel shows and saying they're bad people and do and that's you can do that all day 24/7 that news cycle doesn't shut down. Mhm. Yeah, I I think when I was thinking about this topic, it it seems like the thing behind the thing always reads as on one side there are people who think that whatever, you know, the M&M wearing flats or whatever, not being as fuckable anymore. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why M&M. I was like... Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I but, thought you meant Eminem the rapper. Me too. <laughs> I was like, I was yeah, like, Eminem no longer wearing <laughs> heels. Uh, orthopedics, <laughs> you know. Yeah. He's getting older. Uh, no, no, the candy Eminem right, not right, being, like, right. hot enough for Tucker Carlson to want a bone anymore. Um, like, on its face, it's absurd, but I think that the thing behind it is the fear that people who were served by a system are no longer going to be the ones served by a system if the system dissolves. And the M&M being, like, not sexy is a symptom that this system that rewarded, like, whiteness, heteronormativity, mm-hmm. uh, hyper-femininity that's enforced, like, culturally, um, they're worried that that's going to go away and the M&M is, like, a symptom yeah. of it going away. Because people kept being like, oh, you want to fuck the M&M? And it's like... I- even in defense of Tucker, I don't think he wants to fuck the M&M, but he wants to be able to fuck a woman in high heels whenever he wants to. Right. Has he thought about the M&M while jerking off? Yes. Maybe. She has pretty lashes. Yeah. Maybe. Or he just wants to appeal to people who do because we've seen yeah. his texts, right? He doesn't actually believe what he says on yeah. Fox. Yeah. Or what he said on what Fox. What he said on Fox. <laughs> He's going to say it on Twitter now. He's going to say it on Twitter. Uh, um, Alyssa, like, what do you, what is a culture war that has kind of manifested that you've thought initially was like very, very stupid, but that you now kind of see as having something kind of dark behind it? Oh, God. Like, what's your favorite? What's your favorite culture war that we've had? Oh, they're all awful. They make me so stressed because they're all so um, they're all so hard to combat. Right. Like the whole point of a war is that there would be two sides. But in in these in every single culture war, whether it is book banning, whether it's abortion, whether it's quote unquote wokeism or or this sort of like absurd projection of what people think critical race theory is being taught to fucking kindergartners, which it is most certainly not. The problem is, is that they're they're. The crazy side is so illogical that it's almost impossible to combat in some ways. Like it's like it's like when we will ultimately watch potentially Trump debate Joe Biden. Like how the fuck does Trump does, Ugh, does do Biden we have to? debate Trump? No, do I know, but it's watch? like 
But it's like that's part of what I thought was so irresponsible about that CNN town hall is that they brought Trump in, but there weren't even Republicans who disagreed with him. There weren't even people who didn't vote for him in 2020 or people who are potentially DeSantis or Issa Hutchinson supporters. They were just people who believed him, like who were there to applaud him, it felt like. And I think that that's what makes the current culture war. There's no honesty in it. There's no... um, there's no ability to have a real conversation about like, okay, why are you banning Judy Bloom's books? What the fuck did Judy Bloom do to you? Oh, we shouldn't talk about, I mean, because now before it's like in years past when people were banning books, there was maybe like sexually explicit contact. No, periods, boobs for, for adolescent girls who are growing suddenly is like offensive. Like all of the things that they're banning are just things that are revered in society, it feels like, if we're specifically talking about the book bans. Um, and it's so detrimental. I mean, it's just, it's so detrimental. That's not really an answer to your question, but that's how no, I No, I, I think that that's like an important point. Um, Jenna, what do you make of that? I think that all the... It's by design. There, it's by design that uh, we can't have these fair conversations. That's why we need to have the culture right. war because we need people to not be able to communicate because if people could communicate, then we could achieve consensus and then some people who are making money would be making less money. I think it really mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. comes down. This is sound. It sounds so um, vague, but I think, you know, um, a, it. Yeah. It's it's so big. There are so many people that just want uh, the populace divided and not informed so that they continue can continue to profit off us in so many yep. ways mm-hmm. and subjugate us in so many ways. And I just feel I feel for, you know, those those people who think Trump is the answer because I and I shouldn't. I mean, I I, I you know, a lot of them are Nazis and white supremacists. <laughs> But I think, you know, there's a bro- – people are broken, and I think when you're mm-hmm. broken and you're lost and you're angry, you cling to things like this because you can't – I mean, the Eminem, the the Bud Light, like the people – the angriest people are like – they're angry because they're hurting. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, they can't express themselves sexually or maybe they're 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 hurting. Like, you, that, that one guy who was like – the videos on Twitter of that guy who uh, – I don't know if he was like sh- either – uh, breaking the oh, Miller Light cans or yeah. something, th- thinking that they were Bud Light, and like he's just oh yeah, yeah. They the, they're like so pained. <laughs> yeah, I get like I I would be interested to see the numbers about like who vote like the amount of people that voted in 2020 and the amount of Americans that watched the Super Bowl because it's like that mm. these are things that end up being and and, and I think award shows are like done. Be- at least like reaching everybody the slap I think everybody had an opinion on the Will Smith Chris Rock slap Mm -hmm. more so than everyone had an opinion on who should be president like I think like Mm -hmm. they end up reaching more people because I don't know if if it's like media literacy that's more accessible like it's like do you like Chris Rock or do you like Will Smith and it's like well I've seen their movies (laughs) and so yeah I thought Wild Wild West was bad and so I'm picking Chris Rock and like that it really boils down to that instead of having to know like what we're gonna do in Ukraine like it's like easier to grasp onto Mm -hmm. um you know like Scandal it's a fun thing everyone has picked the you know a right side or whatever but it's but it, it the layers are like oh it says a lot about um 
relationships and what it's like to be a woman who's aging and what it's like to be a woman who maybe doesn't feel great about her body and a man going through a midlife crisis. Like, it it does have layers beyond just like, oh, these are two people on a reality show that we don't know who ended up cheating. Mm -hmm. That one to me feels like the most innocent one, and I think that's why people like it so much because the it's actual, so easy to pick. It is, and right. but also like you're following these people, and it's not like yes, there's like these big issues behind it, like like you mentioned, like aging and and living your life in public, and what does that all mean? Um, but there, are, at the end of the day, it's like two two people and or, you know whatever, it's ten people, but like three people who are involved in like this easy to understand triangle inter- interaction. I think um, I think a lot about the Dixie Chicks and how oh, they um, mm, we, the angels, the chicks. Yeah, the chicks. You know, you know. Um, I, don't, I, wasn't, but, but, I, I just wanted everyone to know that we know. We know. We know. They're the chicks. Um, but back when they were the Dixie Chicks, mm-hmm. shortly after we went to war in Iraq, when everyone in America was so jingoistic um, and deviating from that, like threatened this war effort that turned out to be based on lies. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in order for that to to go forward, everyone needed to be totally gung-ho. And so, like, the uh, clear channel stations refusing to play the chicks' music and, like, bold, like what, what are those steamrollers running yes. over their CDs, like, was, was a cultural, like, yes. expression of something that was, like, deeply insidious. We were all being lied to. We were all, like, we were, tra- it was a massive wealth transfer from American taxpayers to weapons companies yeah um it was it, it that's what that and and what they said looking back on it now you go wait that's all they said like yeah. they they were in london and they were like we're from we're here from texas and yeah like we wish the president wasn't from there like it was so innocuous yeah and then it was like natalie Maines must be killed yeah and it was on good morning america like i'm not saying good morning america was saying that but it was so pervasive and Everyone knew about it, and it was like, I don't even think everyone knew. It's the same with the Bud Light. Mm -hmm. It's like, once I heard what everyone was really mad about, I was like, wait, I'd seen that video. That's what they're mad about? It it ends up being this rallying cry over nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, this was also an era before social media, so it was really like the dominant news sources kind of controlled the narrative completely. I think about Sinead O'Connor, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That was so badass, by the way. That was so badass. fucking badass to the kids listening or watching and again we're talking about women every reference we've done has been women or people of color mm-hmm. when had like what is an example of a man who kind of who said something and and got a similar response Dean, in an area when he went like Rah! Oh, well, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> Howard Dean was like whatever, can't, whatever you want to call it, for just being excited. The the yes, de- but you mean screen. like a non-politician? Maybe like a celebrity who said something and was held accountable in the nineties. Mel Gibson for like a day. Oh yeah, yeah. Kramer. No, Kramer. Kramer's thing was crazy, and that was like that was an era of social media because that video. I mean, how many times had comedians said that that before that, or like done horrible things at comedy clubs that just weren't caught on camera? Mm-hmm. So that that mm-hmm. actually was an example of social media, but pre-social, I guess we wouldn't. Like, yeah. what's an example? Uh, Mel Gibson is like all like Mel can, Gibson, uh, but it was yeah, like but he it was, was for fine. a little bit. Alec Baldwin, I think, but not about the killing the person when <laughs> no, he that, when he called his no, daughter a pig. The, the voicemail. Oh, yeah, the voice called her a little yeah. pig. 
Yeah. yeah. He's he's pretty gr- he's Ooh, he's a gross guy. And then we said, you know what? You'd be great in 30 Rock. Yeah. And he was. And he was. He was and amazing. He was. And he's still working now. I mean, uh, yeah. he's still cranking out kids too. Still, well, More little piglets. Oh my god. Well, yeah. that's his comeuppance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think the Mel Gibson thing is but then people just like continued to yeah. just yeah, he said, that was before what women want. Or... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anti-Semitism. <laughs> well, you know, I tell you what, not Mel Gibson. That's the answer to that question is not Mel Gibson. Um, I think one of the most interesting little, not necessarily a full-on culture like war, but a little thing that sticks in a lot of people's craws and causes people to feel very strongly one way or another is like Chris Pratt is Mm. like immensely divisive. And if you ask someone what they think about Chris Pratt, you can tell probably where they are on the political spectrum. And how they feel about Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was that Instagram about his like, yep, the healthy kid, or the, yep. whatever that was. I just like it made me want to vomit. Yeah, his, his. So Chris Pratt was married to Anna Ferris, who is a comedic genius. I'm going to say, mm. um, the House Bunny, amazing, s- amazing so film. All of the the um, sc- what are the scream knockoffs? Now the I feel uh, like scary movie, scary movie. Right. Oh yeah, my God. yeah. She's super funny. Uh, she was married to Chris Pratt. They had it. They had a son that had some special needs. Chris Pratt left her for a Schwarzenegger. Uh, I feel like he wants. Ugh. I feel like he wants to Reagan. Like he wants to become yeah. the governor of California. Yeah, um, And I feel like there are people on the right that are like, "Oh, great, a handsome Republican," mm-hmm. and they really want to make him make. Chris Pratt happen. You know, they want to make fetch happen with him. Um, but, you know, then he's posting things on Instagram about, like, very, like, tr- pro-trad. I don't know. Can you describe the post? I don't remember it. It was very subtle. It just kind of, it was like, I'm really happy I have a healthy kid now or something. And I but think I'm- he thanked the Schwarzenegger. Yeah, he specifically he was like, thank you to my wife. For my for- healthy, yeah, for giving me a healthy child. And wasn't she looking at him like a a dog that was about to get a begging strip like in that photo? <laughs> She's just like the the it was like trad wife cartoon adoration. Um and you know that she's not making that expression constantly because if she is, that seems like maybe a symptom oh. of she's going to need some neurological. Here it is. You know I you know I was going to have to find it. So one, she is looking adoringly, and the tweet was, she's given me an amazing life, a gorgeous, healthy daughter, dot, 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 all this other dumb stuff. It was subtle, but knowing that he has another child with special needs, it just made me sad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I feel like that's one of those things. I think Clint Eastwood is another one that is sort of like, if you ask people what they think about Clint Eastwood, you can kind of tell Mm -hmm. how they feel about a lot of different things things. Um, like, I was there for Clint Eastwood's weird empty chair speech oh, at the Republican right. convention. In you were there? I was there. Wow. I was in the chair. Wow! That's, I was there. <laughs> that was, like, my... Over 30, so nobody saw you? Yeah, exactly. Did exactly. someone bring the chair out? Like, can you give a... Was there a PA? I what was, were the logistics? frankly, bored. At, oh, okay. uh, and, you know, at those conventions are really fucking boring unless they're scary. Um, right. So, like, when I went to the Democratic convention in 2016... It was, like, boring or scary because, like, Debbie Wasserman Schultz had just gotten, like, yeah. thrown out of being the chair over some, like, Hillary Bernie mm. stuff. The tension was, like, high. And so it was, like, yeah, boring and scary. Not, not, it's never fun. Except Boys to Men saying the national anthem at the Democratic convention in Philly. That was cool. Okay. Um, but at the Republican convention, boring or scary, it was a boring moment. Um, I was sitting up with a bunch of other journalists, like— being like, this is stupid. And then Clint Eastwood's, all of a sudden he's out there talking to a chair. And we're like, what 
is happening. It was very weird. So when you're watching it, everybody knew something was up or that it was weird. I think that Republicans in general are are not funny, which I'm no. sure you've got opinions on. Do you think they're not funny? I mean, Trump is not a Republican. I hate that I think Trump is funny. What makes him funny? He he is he is funny. <laughs> he is a ra- he's most like he's a rapist. Yeah. Right. Bill Cosby is funny. And a rapist. And you don't think he's funny all the time. It's no. It's like a broken clock is twice, he, you know. Like- he says, I think he says what a lot of people think. And I think that fearlessness of just saying, and and, and some of it, I mean, I don't want to cite things that I found funny because like <laughs> some of them are problematic, but he just says what, and you're like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think I get what you're saying. I think that he is, he wants to be funny, like constructing a joke with a setup and a punchline. He oh, doesn't no, he's he not, can't do that. He's no, not no, no, funny no. in that way. He's like, if he were a character on a movie I were watching, I would laugh when I saw him speaking. You know? Like Yeah. Yeah. I mean he says the quiet parts out loud and sometimes those quiet parts are actually funny because you're like, I can't believe you just said that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I think I think that Republican politicians like I um like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, not, not funny. Not funny. They mm-hmm. desperately want to be like adored and funny. Even you know they're trying to be funny. Like they're not even funny. the you know a Jim Brewer famously like is now on on the right and you see the stand up and it's like bad and they're not even laughing at like mm. what is the the bad I want to call it Dilbert, um, but that's that other terrible man. The, sh- the they have like a Fox News comedy show, oh, and it's yeah. Um, yeah. Gut, Gutfeld, Gutfeld, and, 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 and it's not funny, and oh, you know, so it's funny. like they if they were to have um, a correspondence dinner with a Republican comedian, it would not be funny. Yeah, I I mm. want to believe that too. <laughs> I want to believe that comedy is just relegated to the left and that but I but I I've seen enough like and I don't want to name names but I will off camera but yes. there are comedians. I mean, you can make so much more money if you can say what the majority of like kind of angry, populist, racist people are thinking. And there are a lot of comedians making a ton of money and they're putting their specials on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And they are funny, but there are like dog, they're like racist dog whistles or sexist dog whistles. And I get what you're, I I totally get what you're saying. I think that they, those comedians would label themselves not even as right as as truth tellers. No, they they wouldn't call themselves right because once you get into the political sphere, on the left and the right, it's really hard to be funny if you're like, like, a Lee Camp, sorry, mm-hmm. or like, or just like a political. Co- I mean, I can go further with other people's names, whatever. But I think it's it's uh, hard to be funny if you're like trying to have a political point of view. Even when I talk about politics in my stand up, I'm like, oh, I don't want to sound <laughs> yeah. like a TED talk. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I do think that, like, you know, people, I, 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 I think we've seen because mm-hmm. they're making so much money. There is, there are comedians that are, fu- and also, sorry, but before social media, the majority of comedians in clubs were right leaning, yes, and they were funny. Yes, you know? I mean Bill, Bill Hicks. Uh, if you watch his material now, you're like, oh my god. I mean, the stuff he was saying about Ronald Reagan at the time was like super anti what the mainstream accepted. But he also said a bunch of real problematic stuff uh, and he chain-smoked on stage and then died of cancer. Um, But I I think this, this, the fact that we all got so animated in the comedy part is like comedy is such a lightning rod for culture war issues. And I remember- subjective. Yes. Exactly. And I think that there are some principles about what is funny and what isn't funny 
um, that are kind of like up for debate. And I think I remember uh, like maybe two what is comedy cycles ago. I remember Lindy West, who was writing at Jezebel with me at the time, wrote a thing about like how you shouldn't punch down in jokes. Like, Mm -hmm. and that was for a while the consensus. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, comedy is like challenging a hierarchy or pointing out the absurdity of a hierarchy. But I also feel like sometimes if you are a delusional enough right-winger in the culture war, you believe that you are being victimized. And so, like, you are lower in the hierarchy. That's exactly right. And you can look at, like, like if you're making a joke about a trans person, well, those people are coming after me and my free speech, so I'm, like, punching right. up uh, if I'm making fun of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Megan, you look like you had something on your mind. Well, I just think, like— I, I subscribe to the the punching down that you shouldn't, but then it's like, well, uh, once you reach a certain level of success in comedy, which I am not at, you are a wealthy, you are in a totally different tax bracket, so anything you're talking about is punching down. And so then it goes, oh, okay, well, if you make $10 million a year, you got to retire. No, I think that would actually be fine. Um, because <laughs> some of these... Some of it, like, I'm always like, I think Joan Rivers, and yes, of course, she did some crazy things. It's like she actually was able to be relevant and funny till the day she died. And you Mm. see other comedians that have been, that have gotten so wildly successful and are so rich and so famous that it's like, you guys are now just ranting old rich men. Mm -hmm. And it's not comedy anymore. It's just get off my lawn. And like, you can, your lawn is so big, just stay in your (laughs) fucking mansion and leave us alone. It's a town. It's an Entire, yeah, town. entire town that you're kicking everyone out of that looks like you. So just stop. I mean, it's I. You know, it's funny. I think it's it's all like the culture war stuff is all fun and games, or like it's all M and M's and Bud Lights and CD cases being smashed uh, until it isn't. And I feel like if you guys you guys all watch Succession, right? Yes. Okay, we're all caught up here, right? <clears throat> yes, yes. Here, here be spoilers, listeners. Um, I feel like this week's episode of Succession was a great crystallization of the moment that something goes from being culture war to like holy shit mm-hmm. um Alyssa, after you you watched it before i did what did you make I of did. this week's episode the election night episode of succession i was very troubled by it i had a bad <laughs> sleep afterwards uh, guys i have to tell you normally i wait till monday to watch it because it comes nine o'clock's a little late for me um but i was like <laughs> so excited i'm so excited i was like it's only a couple episodes i'm gonna stay up and I had to watch Veep and then Designing Women to try to calm down before I went to bed. <laughs> and I still had bad dreams. I took my mushroom chocolate. I took an edible. Nothing was working because I found it so it's everything you absolutely fear. And it's a show. It's not real, but it's too, it hit too close to home. It was like, oh my God, Tom's running election night on cocaine and cousin Greg's gone to the dark side and Shiv's acting like an absolute fucking moron. And it's like, she's the one person you kind of maybe thought was a little bit above it, but they're all just morally bankrupt and weak. And they picked, it was like when Mencken gave his speech, I was like, I had to fast forward. I was like, I can't, I can't, this is too much. And I Mm -hmm. just, it was, uh, it put a real fine point on what's going on because like TV is a reflection, of course, always of what's happening in the country, in the world, whatever. And that was like, I mean, there were, I had some technical political issues with it. (laughs) I was like, this is not actually how it would happen, but this is fine. And it was uh, just three idiots 
picking the president. It was, yeah. it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was a lot. It's, I still, and then the next day I'm like, you know what? I didn't give it a chance. I'm going to watch it again the next day, but around three in the afternoon <laughs> and uh, no better. It was no better. No better during daylight hours. I got really afraid that the torching of the, the location in Milwaukee, I was like, oh, let's not give them a, yes, an idea. you know, like, I, yes, well, I start oh, to agree. be like, oh, Megan, totally agree. I thought the same thing. Yeah, it it was oh god, I was so triggered. I was in a newsroom mm. on uh not, you know, not a Fox News newsroom, but I was at the Daily Beast uh election night 2016 and mm. I was I like, was at Vice. I was ugh. still I was at Vice 2016 oh god, on election that's day. Triggering. I was yeah. I had pitched a story that I really wanted to that I thought it'd be really funny to talk to people who were in line for Hamilton on election night and then th- like I think that is very funny. Why are that you it's like funny. why are you go- you care about American history so much but like you're missing this historic like actual event you're deciding to go to Hamilton instead. So I like went there with like one of our social media camera people cuz it's like that's fun like social war stuff like Hamilton is a specific signifier even though Peggy Noonan really loved it. Um <laughs> but for the most part people who like Hamilton are like on one side. So it's like why are these people all lining up? On a night of, like, our greatest victory. <gasps> uh, and so I, like, interview them before, and then I go to, like, a bar around the corner to wait and wait till the show is done. I set, like, a clock, and I was going to go outside, and um, the needle was just, like, going like that as I w- as the show was ending. And my editor called me and was like, you need to go do, like, this other story. So, like, I saw people coming out of the theater, like, completely, like, shell-shocked, and it was just, like, there was it was, like, one of the worst I've ever like I just felt horrible the whole city felt horrible the newsroom was like in in disarray but Alyssa you're right that it's just like ultimately the people in newsrooms the people running newsrooms are like the people running the Daily Beast very smart very good at their jobs but like at a place like Fox News just a bunch of fucking knuckleheads well you know that, that I think was part of the the weird thing for me was that I watched the episode after that CNN town hall mm. and I just started feeling like there were too many people in charge of what we are consuming and what's really the truth. I went down a whole rabbit hole, but I just have to tell you on election night 2016, uh, a, a large percentage of the vice uh, employee base had been very pro Bernie. And uh, I was worried that no one was going to go out and vote. And so I like, am th- I'm like, you guys, everyone, you know, you, you get time off, everybody go vote, everybody go vote. And I mean, you guys, they thought I was such a fucking square anyway, but it just solidified my place in history at Vice as the squarest person who ever worked there. And I was like, and they're like, but isn't Hillary going to win? I'm like, you guys, of course she's going to win, but you have to vote. This is yeah. so important. And then I had to write. And by had to, I made myself do it, a letter to the entire company the next day about like why we should never take things for granted and why I was wrong. It was like, but it was just, uh, it was when we were watching the results here in our apartment, my husband, who is very clinical and not emotionally attached to candidates or anything like that, really, except the ones that he directly works for, he was telling me how bad the results were. And I'm like, you need to watch it in the bedroom. Okay, I can't watch this with you. Mm-hmm. And then I kept going back to the bedroom to be like, have you seen anything about Dane County? He's like, bad. <laughs> it was so bad. It was, but anyway, that whole episode brought me back to 2016 in a very uh, real way. Yeah. We talk about that night as if it were 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> because it's it, was, it the, was. We all, that, 
I mean, you know my story. I was on Colbert on election night. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, yeah. Get your abortions now is yeah. the thing that Jenna said it to a microphone. <laughs> on li- it was live. It was oh, it was on Showtime. And they were like, I did you just want- say the F word, too. Is that a- was that OK? I didn't say the F word, but okay. it was it was live on Showtime. And so, oh, yeah, I did say we're going to be fucked. Okay. Oh, yep. Should okay. I not say it on this? No. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, you can say it on Showtime, too. Yeah. yeah. Even oh, okay. though you could say it on Showtime. Um but yeah, I mean, the thing about it that I find fascinating was just like the overall gaslighting, mostly by men being like, things are going to be okay, everything's going to be okay in that aftermath. And a friend of mine was in a crazy plane crash pre-social media because he might have heard about it if it happened later. But she was, I think it was like an Alaska Airlines flight from like San Francisco to Washington or something. The plane was in free fall for like, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute. She said the women on the plane were like holding hands and crying and praying. And she looked over and she saw a guy doing a crossword puzzle. And I think about that all the time. And and it and it reminded me of like wow. the 2016 election night results where I was like, get your abortions now. We're going to be fucked. And everyone's like, you're hysterical. Like, calm down, honey. And then, you know, how many years later? Yeah, it's like a it's Eight. a culture war until it's not. He ran on like cultural grievances and yeah. like mm-hmm. he you know and then it, it, you know we we knew women knew at the night of election that like we knew what was behind the cultural grievances. I was not I, I was naive until around like I really had and I also like I know that I sound like such a broken record but it was such a perfect storm of shit. It was like Social media, Russian interference on Facebook, whatever. It was like the Bernie's. It was like, you know, Hillary not campaigning in like Wisconsin. It was like, it was just a perfect storm. And then with all the grievances and everything that kind of led to that. And she won the popular vote. And the Electoral College is a relic of slavery. I always have to contextualize it when we talk about this. Because I do believe that, like, we were ready to have a female president. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I need to, like, remind myself of that, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. that what happened was a perfect storm of shit. Yeah. That is indeed true, and that's what we saw <laughs> on uh, Succession this week. <laughs> and I feel like that's why culture war issues rile people up so much, in addition to the, like, easy-to-understand, mouth-breathing, daytime talk show fodder type shit. Um, there's something behind it always, and sometimes that that something can become the president. Um, okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some more listener questions and uh, I Feel Petty slash Sanity Corner. Hey there, Brenda. It's Carol. Exactly. So which leg are we operating on? You mean arm. It's all connected. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. 
Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast that doesn't believe Shiv is worthy of Tom's loyalty. I don't think Tom <laughs> is really worthy of anything at all. No. No. But they, maybe they deserve each other. Yeah. Maybe. I lean, maybe they I lean more like they're, they both are wrong. Oh, yeah. That's, that's true. I made a, <laughs> I made a joke about um, Succession, Game of Thronesing. And its very end, like Shiv burns down the Waystar Royco building and then has sex with cousin Greg. And they're uh, like, as a joke, <laughs> as a joke. And then there was like the scene on yeah. this week where oh, she like, you're not fuck me. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, oh my god, did I make it? Out? Did I make it come true? <laughs> you manifested um, it. I know, I manifested it. Um, I woman manifested it. Uh, <laughs> before we get to sanity corner slash, I feel petty. Um, some announcements for the class. We have a new merch collection at the Crooked Store, Matriarchy or Bust. It's inspired by those awesome 90s airbrush t-shirts and the moms we beg to buy them for us. The design makes me feel like I'm on a fun summer road trip with no traffic and no patriarchy. Alyssa, I never went to like the, the Jersey Shore as a kid, mm. but it seems like something that you would get as a souvenir from the so, Jersey Shore. The Jersey Shore or your local county fair, I definitely had a drawer full. You did? Which was your favorite yeah. design? Uh, unicorns. Ooh, ooh. Unicorns with an airbrush rainbow. See, I, it it really immediately put me in nostalgia zone, and now I kind of am like, we should do a lot more merch that is exactly 100%. this vibe. The collection has tees, tumblers, and bumper stickers, something for everyone. Check it out at crooked.com slash store. Uh, and oh, let's do a couple of listener questions. Okay. I, let's, uh, yeah, Alyssa, if you had one do-over, what would it be? If I had one do-over, what would it be? Honestly, I'd have to go back to the time during COVID when I cut my hair really short and bleached it blonde, and it's taken me two and a half years to grow it all out and fix it. That honestly, it's the most, it's it's vain, but it's true. <laughs> um, uh, my do-over is like boring. I wish I would have in my 20s been more focused on saving money to buy a house in California 15 years later. Mm. Um, yeah, Two I know. overs hit home. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, God damn it. Even in 2018, if I would have just been like, oh I'm going to focus gosh. on doing this now. Oh, it, yeah. Megan, you know. You but know what I'm talking about. We all would have known in 2018. <laughs> I know. Seriously. I, know. Um, okay. I have one. Okay. Aaron, what's been your favorite part of doing this podcast? Ooh. You know, I think there's a lot of things I really love about it, but the thing that I was is extremely necessary was in 2020 during like pandemic, the height of pandemic, it was like the only human conversations yeah, that I had every week. It was like a built in two hour conversation with several people who I like and who like me. And it felt so I, I think I would have like lost my mind if I didn't have the podcast. How about you? 
No, same thing. It's like from 20, I mean, the pandemic lasted so long yeah. that it was like, <sighs> I mean, so and, and for huge swaths of it, I did not have anything else to do other than, of course, you know, make jam, jam. which also <laughs> didn't involve people. So it was the same. It made gave me something to look forward to every week. Oh, good. Well, I hope that that's how the podcast functions for our listeners. Want you to yeah. feel like you're hanging out with your pals, but you're not expected to participate. You don't have to. You can just sit back and relax and enjoy it. Yeah, okay. you don't have to prep at all. No, no. Um, okay. Alyssa, do you want to go first? Sanity Corner or I Feel Petty this week? Sanity Corner for me, for the big 250. Okay. And for the big 250, let's celebrate Martha Stewart being 81 yes. and on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I mean... The pictures were one thing. The behind the scenes were totally another. It is amazing that at 81, she's the oldest uh, woman to ever uh, grace the cover of Sports Illustrated. But she was just like living her best fucking life during that photo shoot. I'm sure Snoop gave Mm -hmm. her some weed. And she (laughs) was just like, pour that water on me. She like (laughs) slick my hair back. She's like, she was so not self-conscious. She was so just fucking in it and enjoying it that I really, you know, on the, on the same, the same week we get Martha on the cover of Sports Illustrated, the same week the FDA is going to maybe give us some hot flash medicine. It's like, this was a a win for women this week. And book club, the next chapter. (laughs) Please. Oh man. Uh, Megan, what are you going to go with? Um, Megan Gailey reporting live from the sports desk. Uh, we, we have reached the Eastern and Western Conference Finals in the NBA. Now, it is the same Final Four teams that was in the bubble season that was down in Orlando. So that is very reminiscent of the pandemic. Uh, in the Western Conference Finals, Caroline is very upset, giving me thumbs down when I said I was going to do this. It's the Los Angeles Lakers. What? Who would have seen this coming yeah. against uh, the Denver Nuggets? Um, LeBron is on the Lakers. He is amazing, and we like him. Sometimes he makes some bad decisions, uh, but I am a Lakers house. Um, my husband is so excited. Denver, they really do nothing. They don't. Like they Denver. do nothing for me. Nikola Jokic is a two-time MVP, and he's really um, seems like a fine, lovely man. Immigrated here from Serbia. Um, his daughter is really cute, and she points at her ring finger like, "Dada, let's w- win a ring." And she's under two years old, so oh. she is watching Miss Rachel. Um, and then on the <laughs> Eastern Conference uh, Finals, it's the Boston Celtics versus the Miami Heat. Yikes. Um, <laughs> I would say don't look at the fan bases. Uh, if you look too co- closely at the Boston fans, you're going to be very upset. Uh, Jimmy Butler is on the Miami Heat. It's truly crazy that they're, they've are they come this far. They're an eight scene. Um, their coach is Eric Spolstra. He's a half Filipino, so he's a king in our household. <laughs> I will be rooting for the Heat um jason tatum has a cute son but he is also getting like older these nba kids that you meet them when they're like two Mm -hmm. and then they're at the press conference and they're like six and you're like get back to school (laughs) you know like i don't need you traveling all over the country to watch your dad okay um so yeah it's a it's a fun time and the games are great i think a lot of times these eastern and western conference finals end up being better than the finals because they've still got a little gas in the tank. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to watch any basketball, I would suggest during this week and next week. Hmm, Interesting. I like forgot about it because I, Denver makes me so mad. I like can't even, I don't dislike the city of Denver. I don't dislike the idea of Denver. I just don't like this team. 
I just don't like. They're pretty boring. There is a guy on the team who, like Michael Porter Jr. I rem- we got mad at him. It was a culture war thing, and I remember we were mad at him, but I can't remember why. Jamal Murray did go live um, on Instagram during the pandemic while his girlfriend was giving him a blowjob, <laughs> <laughs> and I cannot not think about it every single time I see him. Oh man, that's why live on Instagram is just dangerous. Just, uh, just get rid of it. Get rid of Elon, it. Elon, get rid of it. <laughs> get rid of it. Um, okay. Okay, I will go next. Um, mine is like, this is more um, reporting from the, the TikTok front lines. Um, this is what took over my FYP this week, uh, something known as Tattoo Gate. So there's a general like arc that these like dissatisfied customer like, you know, virality moments go on. It's like a customer gets something that they weren't, that that is underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Uh, they post their interaction with the person who provided the service, overcharged them, ripped them off or whatever. And then uh, it goes viral and then people start digging into the history of the original poster. Anyway, so this is Tattoo Gate. There was a um, Canadian woman named Courtney who was trying to get a tattoo. She wanted to get a tattoo of a fox and she wanted (laughs) to get a tattoo from a specific artist. She sent the artist... Um, two inspiration sketches, and the artist was like, cool, I require a $180 deposit and $1,500 for the sketch, and you get one change in the sketch. And that's weird. Like, And it doesn't apply to the cost of the tattoo, oh. which is weird because I've, I've got several tattoos, which you can't see. They're under my clothes. But um, <laughs> they, uh, you know, every time I've gotten one that involved any artistry like you go it's like an it's like a collaboration with the artist you pick the artist you go in and you tell them what you're looking for and they like show you a couple things and it's like it's fun you're what it's like a person who's an artist doing some cool art on you um but this artist wasn't feeling it at all she's like you pay me for the sketch and then whatever so she gets the sketch the sketch fucking sucks (laughs) um and then uh she wants to make changes to the sketch looks nothing like what she had sent um, the woman who wanted the tattoo was then like told that she was basically like out the money unless she got this tattoo. She posted it. Everyone was like, that is not how this works. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and then they revealed that the tattoo artist had actually traced the picture of the, the fox. It wasn't even an original illustration. And other people who had been ripped off by this tattoo artist came forward. And then a famous TikTok tattoo guy named um, Matt Vogt, V-A-U-G-H-T, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly or not, offered to fly her down to L.A. and give her a tattoo for free. And so that's how that story ends. Um, is it how it ends? Or is this the first <laughs> chapter? Yeah, what's going on with Courtney? I want to know, yeah. Did we I, find any posts of her? We haven't. She hasn't been milkshake ducked. Yeah, she's Canadian, so maybe... She's, she seemed like a real nice lady. Wait, what's milkshake ducked? Oh, it's a... It's a Twitter in-joke where uh, where it was like, everybody loves milkshake duck. Everyone's going crazy for the milkshake duck, dot, dot, dot. The milkshake duck is actually a racist. Basically, oh, like, oh, every, t- oh. every time something goes viral that we all are like, we love Ken right, Bone. Right. Yeah. We love, right. there's like a, there's, yeah, there's like a beat where it's like, ah, <laughs> he posted some anti-Semitic things. Right. Or I, I don't know if Ken Bone actually did that. But, you know, there's always like. Yeah. something you got to just be really careful before you're right. like overly enthusiastic Champion a person exactly even when we were daddying andrew cuomo he got oh yeah you know well he had i mean there was always a little that like um he, i don't know i shouldn't be doing that but uh he had like nipple <laughs> piercing what? what yeah he had like his nipples pierced he was giving cool. a press conference and i'm like and then i just saw that and i i was like there's something you know that's very like i grew up in new jersey so just whatever anyway <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man. Okay, so that's uh, that's that's my both sanity corner and I feel feel petty now. My FYP is going to be taken over by tattoo content for a mm. long time, right. which is fine. Um, all right, Jenna, do you want to bring us home? Sure. My sanity corner, I want to say, is the solidarity among the Writers Guild membership. I also it just. It makes me feel sane because what's going on in our industry is so existential, but also the sanity among um, other unions, uh, all of us working together, the consensus. I think there are so many DGA members who are also WGA members who are in our corner. Their SAG is in our corner. The Teamsters are in our corner. I think like the multi-union solidarity in this current moment. Mm-hmm. Um, IATSE? Yeah, yeah, is 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 very motivating and inspiring. Uh, yeah, and I also, and then you know, the thing that's really upsetting is just the fact that Netflix and these companies don't even seem to care. They're not even trying to negotiate with us. They think that AI is going to be this like new technology panacea. And somebody was saying like, this is the nature of things. There was like the printing press, and then there was the internet, and but I but. I aid, I don't believe that AI is the answer also because AI is like a, you know, plagiarism machine that still requires human labor to get it right, but we only just outsource it in, in other countries. But then also like I I I think artists will be the last to be automated and artists are a f- reflection of our culture and of each other and if we try to automate that we just we all lose. Mm-hmm. And so it's fascinating to me that the the suits over at these companies are trying to automate us when like it would make so much more sense economically for them to be automated first. Mm-hmm. Nothing I'm <laughs> saying hasn't been on a protest sign, but the, just the way, and maybe it's because it's the Writers Guild, and, and as far as guilds were pretty uh, capable of taking time off work compared to a <laughs> teacher's union yeah. mm-hmm. or nursing. Like, so we're, we're a less vulnerable guild, but we're also wordsmiths. So the conversation that everyone is having, I think, is really just right on. And I mm-hmm. I, I love that it's almost anti-culture war in the sense to bring it home mm-hmm. of, like, it's a lot of really smart people all on the same page about what is happening. And it feels mm-hmm. very clear-eyed and deliberate. And I just hope the rest of the country supports us because I think that it's this fight is critical and it ties to every other yes. labor fight going on mm-hmm. in the country. It mm-hmm. transcends the entertainment business. It's Absolutely. It's in every single, it's like Amazon workers, Starbucks, like we, yes, we have free time because we had free time before and, and let's put you on our back. I'm like, throw fucking guns in there. I'll pick it for anything now, all right? <laughs> you got the picketing bug. Yes. You're going to pick it anything. You know, it's funny, um, the comparisons between like AI and printing press and stuff, like, Okay, so the Luddites were, you know, like oh, people who are anti-technology are like, oh, they're Luddites. But like the Luddites were right. They were smashing like automated machinery that was designed to replace them. And it did replace them. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, we're fucking Luddites, but that's fine because art should not suffer because of like studio greed. Um, all right. That's all the time we have on episode 250. It was one for the books. One for the books. One for the books. Megan Gailey, Jenna Friedman, thank you so much for being here for episode 250. Such a special, fun day for everybody. Alyssa Mastermonico, thank you for being my ride or die. And listeners, thank you for sticking with us for this entire time. And here's to 250 more. There will be more hysteria next week.
Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. And Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. Fiona Pestana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. Our video producers are Rachel Gajewski and Megan Patzel. Thank you to Gabrielle Leverett-Diaz, Ewa Okulate, Amelia Montooth, Adia Hill, and David Tolls for production support every week. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.